Hello and welcome to the Trady Connection podcast. My name is Sean Carroll and today I'm introducing a recorded webinar for the cabling and electrical industry on the cabling regulations, why you should adhere to them and what happens if people don't adhere to the cabling regs. It's hosted by John Fennell and features a discussion between Paul Stathis and Ian Milner and the discussion plus question time runs for just over an hour. There will be more of these webinars in the future touching on industries affecting the cabling industry so be sure to check out the links in this episode description to know where to go for future episodes. Anyway, I'll let these guys take it away and enjoy the episode. Uh, we'll start now. It's seven o'clock. I'd like to welcome everybody who's come online. Thank you for participating in today's uh, uh, webinar. Um, my name is John Fennell. I'm the CEO of the International Copper Association, uh, and um, I'll be your MC uh, for this morning for the first in a series of registered cabler uh, webinars. The two presenters today will be Paul Stathis, if you want to wave your hand, Paul, uh, CEO of Bixby, and Ian Milner, ICT consultant and uh, ICAA smart wiring guru. Uh, housekeeping uh, for today, for this morning, the webinar, webinar is estimated to run for about 40 minutes, and then we'll follow that with uh, 20 minutes of, of Q&A. If you've got any questions, just please register these in the chat room. Um, and those who are unfamiliar with the chat, uh, if you go down to the bottom of uh, the screen, um, you can click on the chat function uh, at the bottom and that will open up a little panel and you, you can register any questions that you've got uh, through, the, through the webinar on that. Uh, and we'll get hopefully get to that at the end of, the, uh, of this session. Uh, for the best viewing um, of the webinar, um, we suggest you go to the view options. So if you look at the top right-hand side of your screen, you can click on the side-by-side -side speakers option. Um, I hope you've all got that. It just makes it a, we tested it and we thought that might be the best uh, for you, the side-by-side -side speakers option. Um, as you heard the, the meeting is going to be recorded so that our colleagues in Western Australia can have an opportunity to watch uh, a bit later. Uh, if you wish to get a copy of today's slides or, in fact, the full recording, you can go to our website, which is uh, registeredcablers.com.au. And I'll, I'll remind you of this again at the end of the webinar. So let me introduce uh, Ian and uh, Paul to start the webinar. And thank you all. Uh, thanks, John, and uh, welcome everyone at this very early hour in the morning. Um, the the uh, idea here is just to actually talk about the importance of applying and sticking to S009. Um, I've been with the International Copper Association for an eternity now. <laughs> I didn't have this color here when I started. It has changed. So I, I think, and I've been in the industry for quite a long, quite a long time. Over to you, Paul. Good morning, folks. Thanks also. just want to reiterate the appreciation we have for you taking an hour out of your busy schedules to join us. We're hoping that you'll gain some guidance from this, some little gems to take home. We know we're not here to teach you about S009, but it's more about filling in the little gaps, give you a couple of little gems. And like Ian, I've been in this industry a long, long time. Um, unlike Ian, you've spent most of your time in the education side of things. I've spent most of my time in the manufacturing side of things. But between the two of us, we're uh, well-versed in the industry. We've seen the trends. We both serve on the committees that produce the standards and the regulations. So this is really to try and help the industry to just get more professional, I guess. Spot on. And uh, just to mention, um, relax. All this will be made available and uh, we will get emails uh, for links to go to the website to get it. So, you know, don't you don't need to take any notes. You can relax and just enjoy the wonderful speech. <laughs> um, so why why are we talking about this? Um, I, I'd say this you you're doing this bit, aren't you, Paul? Yeah, let me just uh, address this one. Um, and put put simply, it's to protect yeah. you. Actually, no, it's protection in general across the board. First of all, it's the law. Now, why is it the law? We went through this 
with the federal government many years ago when they put out a public consultation. You might remember this in 2018. And they said, why do we need these regulations? Well, first of all, it's there to protect the community and the end users by ensuring that safety is provided. Because remember, this is conductivity and it can conduct electricity. It can interfere with electrical systems, et cetera. So it protects the consumer and the end users because as we found out through COVID, we cannot live without connectivity. Secondly, it's there to protect you or us as the industry, as um, cablers, uh, cover your butt. That, put it sort of in a bit of vernacular situation. This is to help protect you. And we'll talk about this thing down the track today. And thirdly, it's there to protect the industry, to separate the good guys from the cowboys. This is, this is terminology I've learned from a lot of the other cablers who contact me. I've been running BRCA for the last 12 years, so I gain a lot of insight from cablers who contact us with issues, questions, etc. But this is commercial protection for the industry so that we don't fall into a downward price spiral. Again, we'll talk about that one down the track this morning. Thanks, Ian. Yep. And uh, the, the, what, what are we going to do in the ensuing minutes? We're going to talk about the key issues. Look at the what is conventionally covered by S009, the scope of S009, what it takes to comply, the new requirements that have been added into 2020 edition, and what you can do to cover your backside, use S009 to protect you, and how registration helps to avoid a dime what done with price spiral. So that, that's what we're going to focus, and they're the sort of key messages we hope to provide with you, provide you in the next uh, hour. Over to you, Paul. Okay. So first of all, this is, call it a, a primer. This is just to understand what S009 is all about. It's very much specific cabling architecture. Now, as you all know, telecommunications cabling or communications cabling is star-wide. It's point to multi-point, as distinct with electrical, which we refer to as daisy chain or loop in, loop out. Um, very, very different architecture. Therefore, you need different criteria to ensure that it works even. properly. Now, the other important factor there is... Is there a minute? Oh, hello. Oh, thanks, Helen. Uh, the other important factor to realise is that we must maintain separation from hazardous services. Now, hazardous services is not just electrical. It can be gas. It can be hot uh, pipes, etc. Now, as we know, when we're running material oh, for communication yeah. systems... Um, it's typically in ceilings, in basements, in cool. service areas. Uh, thanks, Helen. Um, so the important thing is to make sure we maintain separation so that communications infrastructure is not compromised by close proximity to other services, which can be hazardous to the end user, hazardous to the technician working in the premise or the technician working outside. And also the other important factor is the termination methodology. Uh, for those of you who've been around a long, long time, uh, you might remember that we used to have um, wrap or screw terminals before insulation displacement contact or IDC came into the picture. You remember that back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, the old crone termination. That was a significant milestone in terms of term terminology, sorry, um, termination mm -hmm. for the simple fact that it provided a very instant gas tight fit. So it meant it was reliable over the long term, but very, very quick to do. So uh, the industry had to learn how to use that termination technique and to do it properly, which meant that the system just worked as distinct from conventional electrical or other types of connectivity. So this is just a little bit of a primer about the way in which we treat the uh, telecommunications cabling infrastructure. And then of course, other complex issues like optical fiber, but we won't go into that detail as yet. So over to you, Ian. Thank you, Paul. Um, just being clear, the cabling registration, which is obviously what you need, applies to premises or customer cabling. The, the key is there's a clear demarcation point and if you're not sure, there's a whole appendix in the back of S009 and make sure you're aware of it. Secondly, the leading cable is not covered by S009. However, several carriers, including the MBN, actually allow you to work on the leading cable. And when you get this presentation, you'll be able to actually go and get this authority to alter from MBN. 
Now we include this because only registered cablers are allowed, are given this authority to be MBN. So you can then take full benefit out of it. To do that, actually get the document and download it and actually read it because it's got a lot of very useful information. So A, the registration is for customer cabling only. B, whilst it doesn't cover the leading cable, it is MBN and Telstra and other carriers have said, here's an authority to alter our facility and you can use that. So take full advantage of it. The next thing is just to make you realize the current profile of the cable registrations that we have. So, you know, there are obviously, you need to be registered with either restricted open or lift. Basically 99% of all registrants are actually registered with an open registration. This is according to the latest ACMA figures that are, this is the figures that are put together through the registrars giving feeding back into the, into the ACMA. Secondly, those do actually have an open registration. You can see from the slide, 60% have structured cabling. Structured cabling, by the way, is when you put in, you know, from a patch panel to an outlet. Very simple stuff. But according to our legal framework and cable registration requirements, you must have an endorsement to work on that. So if you're doing structured cabling without that endorsement, you're actually in breach of your own registration conditions. And you're knowingly breached if you're a registered cabler because you are a registered cable in the first place. So you can't say, oh, I didn't know this. So beware. And also if you do coax cabling, optical fiber, underground and aerial cabling. So just keep that in mind and be absolutely certain that the work you're doing, you're actually covered for. Why are we emphasizing this? It's because when something goes wrong and there's an insurance company behind, they're probably going to be looking for a scapegoat. And if they go, oh, you mean the red, the alarm system didn't go off and stopped the uh, water from flooding that floor because the you know the moisture detector didn't get the alarm out because there was a break in the communications because the cabler didn't do the structured cabling or the optical fiber correctly, then the cabler's at fault. Uh, I know it's going a long way, but this is what happens in the real world, in particular when you're dealing with very expensive claims to insurance companies. Do the work in compliance with S009 and ensure it meets the customer needs. S009 does have certain words and Paul will talk to it. And if you don't make sure it meets the customer needs, you will always have a problem, okay? To make sure it meets the customer needs, make sure you document what you agreed you're going to provide them and actually provide what you agreed you're gonna provide them. And finally is complete the TCA form, TCA1 form, which by the way, can be, your worksheet and your invoice, as long as you include the pertinent details from the TCA form in it. So you don't have to create new systems. You just have to embed what you've already got, what you what the TCA one form has into what you how you already operate. Paul. Okay, thanks, Ian. So, folks, this is just a quick summary of the changes that went when we went from the 2013 edition to the 2020 edition. Now, it's kind of funny because it's 2023 now, so this seems like a long time ago, but to us it wasn't that long ago. Those of us on the committee, we spent a couple of years pre-COVID working on the updates, etc. Now, there's a lot of changes that have been made, and we put out a communique about that, I think, about 18 months ago or so, and hopefully you've had a chance to look at that. But if you haven't, just go back over your um, newsletters from whoever the registrar was, and you'll find information on that. But what we've done for the purpose of this webinar is just extracted what we thought the three biggest changes that were introduced, and I'll just talk about them individually. Uh, first of all, we introduced a term called fitness for purpose, so that applications must work on the cabling. And this is a legal requirement. Um, all too often we've found that historically uh, you could put in a cabling system and it might not work, but legally, well, you've done your job. But here, this fitness for purpose basically means it has to work, otherwise the client doesn't have the, has the right not to pay you. So this is a protection for the consumer. Now, a little bit of history back in 20. 12, when we work on the 2013 edition, NBN joined the committee and they wanted to introduce performance because performance was everything. 
they were a relatively new organization. They wanted to make sure that everyone was getting what they were paying for in terms of performance, realizing that that last 10 meters, the cabling that we do on the premise, could make or break the NBN. Now, unfortunately, they were not allowed to introduce performance because this is a mandatory requirement. S99 is a mandatory requirement based on two pillars. One is safety, the other one's network integrity. Now, we found that there was a lot of feedback from people saying, my system doesn't work or it doesn't support 10 gig Ethernet or whatever the case was. So in terms of grappling with the criteria from government about not imposing complex requirements and performance, we found a legal term called fitness for purpose. Or actually, if we extend that, it's fitness for intended purpose. In other words, it must work and it must do what it's supposed to do. Otherwise, your client doesn't have to pay it. So that's something to be very wary of, that when you install cabling, it must be capable of doing something, not just to be there physically. Now, this is a classic example of differentiating the work, as we mentioned that previous slide, of star-wide topology or architecture versus loop-in, loop-out, which is electrical. We get calls from cables all the time saying they had to rework cabling because an electrician put it in, they just looped it in, looped it out, and it physically didn't work. Yet the work was still done, the cabling was in. This is a legal now, legal statement that says it must work. So you might find that you'll be required to do a bit of testing, but it, once again, it helps you to differentiate yourself from the cowboys. Now, ES1, 2, and 3, the second point, is a big ticket item. This was a new requirement coming out of ISO, the International Standards Organization, uh, 62368-1 is the standard. That's now an Australian, New Zealand standard, ASNZS 62368-1. It has new criteria that determines power being run down the comms cabling. It is complex, and we're trying to put out a fair bit of information on that. Um, You've probably come across this before, the classifications. Now, ES1 and 2 is fairly typically identified by remote powering like POE, POH, or digital electricity, which is coming relatively new into the marketplace. You may have come across it. Um, but ES3 is a very different beast. It is physically dangerous cabling. There are very few applications that run on that. And in our discussions with, uh, well, Comms Alliance is the overarching body that owns S009. We're in discussions with ERAC, the Electoral Regulators Authority, about trying to identify who does what and what criteria is required because ES3 has dangerous voltages. It can be harmful. It can be very, very dangerous. So we're just trying to work with that. Now, you're probably finding in the, in the application side of it that your clients say, we want to run some cabling and we're going to run POE. All right. So what what do you mean by POE? Well, we've got cameras or lighting or um, wireless access point that we're running POE applications. So our recommendation to is find out what the power rating is and then ask the supplier. The supplier is the one who should know whether it's classified for ES1 or ES2. And that's fairly typical. ES3 does not include POE, by the way. That's very high voltage, very high current. So just be aware of that coming into the picture. The other one is field terminable plugs. Now, we met with a lot of questions from cablers over the years about the application of, let's say, um, surveillance cameras. They're in the middle of nowhere, tucked away up in a ceiling or on, a, on an eave, under the eaves of a building, and they've got a jack on them already. And there was a temptation to just simply terminate the, the cabling with a plug and just plug it in so you didn't have to worry about a wall plate. So in S009 2020 edition, we introduced the concept of field terminable plugs. So you could take what we call the home run cabling or just the concealed solid conductor CAT5, CAT6, CAT6A cabling and turn it into a plug. But, and this is the important one, be aware that this is a specific plug. You don't just go out and get yourself your cheap and cheerful 30 cent uh, plug requires a crimp connector because historically we found that these generally fail because they're mechanical devices and the crimper. Um, there's no real qualifications in terms of what works. Uh, we can talk about the details if someone wants to know about that. I had this issue in my 15 years in manufacturing in the past where uh, field terminable plugs just didn't work and it had to be done in a factory to get it done right. Now, there are a lot of plugs available on the market that are specific to this. They have 
IDC contacts so you can terminate them in the field properly and reliably and to plug directly into a like a classic uh, IoT device like a camera or a wireless access point. So there's some of the three, or there are three key areas. There are a lot of other areas, but feel free to contact your registrar if you need more information on the updates on these standards. Over to you, Ian. Thank you very much. Um, so the, the next one we want to talk about is obviously increased awareness of your risk and accountability. The fit for purpose means if I've got an alarm system in my house or in my business with smoke detectors, whatever, and they are, and I've got a back-to-base, you know, sort of arrangement. Then I expect that when the smoke detector goes off, in fact, the alarm system will be able to actually communicate. If that fails to communicate because of the cabling that was done by the cabler, then they're the ones that are copying that. So that's what we're talking about accountability. The other thing is that some customers, obviously, you'll never know what they're going to use the cable for, but you can always say the cable was installed. This type of cable. Uh, to these standards, which is, for example, S008, the cabling compliance with S008, it was installed for S009 and ISO 11801, for example, part one, two, three, depending on where this commercial, domestic, residential, and so on. So if you do that, then if they want to use it for some in, unintended purpose, then they, they can't fault you. So A, be careful what you're supplying and document it, because if it's not documented, then it didn't happen. Remember that. Better understanding of the fitness for intended purposes. So I keep coming back to what is it that you want to do with this? I want to run a POE camera. Uh, and to get to that CCTV POE camera, you know, the, the shortest cable run we can have is 200 meters. Well, will that work or not? Now, there are cameras and CCTV systems that are designed to do that. That's fine. But again, documentary trail that says the customer has agreed we can actually have this going for 200 meters because the equipment they're going to use is designed to work over 200 meter cable length, you know, so covering your backside. Uh, better understanding of the scope and, and the in, uh, limitations of the insurance. So it's just be aware. And I know this is more like a business thing, but at the end of the day, the standard will only save you if you've got a way of saying, I have taken reasonable steps to ensure the client got what they wanted. And I understood that within the confines and constraints of the scope of S009 and you know, what, my, what my services can provide. Um, when we're talking about creating an escape strategy, it's you know literally the best escape strategy is ensuring you go back to that documentation. I agreed I was going to deliver this, this is what I agreed. And secondly, this complies with the standard. I had informed you in, a, in prior, previously that uh, what you want it done is outside the standard. And therefore, I gave you a 200 meter length of Cat6 cable, and now you say it won't work because you bought cheaper gear, because suddenly your accountants told you that you could buy cheaper gear. So again, think of the standards as being your best friend. So you know, don't, don't see them as, oh my God, I've got to know this but actually use them as your best friend. In fact, download them electronically and you learn how to use the control F function in, you know, in uh, the, the, the reader, the Adobe reader. So you can actually find how many times a particular statement comes of, you know, installation of, of certain particular practices. So, uh, and by the way, can I just mention for you electricians that are registered cablers, when we're talking about electricians, they're the ones that aren't registered cablers and don't know what they're doing, okay? Just <laughs> because we do come across some that are still doing things and they haven't caught up with the latest technology. Now, Paul. Okay, thanks, Ann. Uh, folks, this is let's call this Business 101. Uh, now, a lot of this is lifted from a presentation I did at Bixie Conference in the US earlier this year. Um, just to help people differentiate themselves. So how do you position yourself? I'm a professional, therefore I'm not a cowboy. Now the word FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt. That's the term. And this is the classic case of people being aware of what the risks are that they're taking on board. So you as a professional are there to help mitigate risks for your clients. So we have to create that, call it discomfort. Uh, classic case, if you're going to get a plumber, to do some plumbing in your house, 
do you want to get just anybody, a cowboy, just because they're cheap, or do you want to get someone who does the job right so you don't have leaks and problems? So this is the same thing. Telecommunications infrastructure is an essential service, and I want you to communicate that to your clients so that they are aware that what you provide for them is mission critical. As we found out through COVID, if you didn't have connectivity, things went pear-shaped awful quick. So what I wanted to do was just, there's quite a few points there. I've got some notes from the presentation I did in the US, um, but just a, a, put it in the context, it's a very common occurrence for new entrants to any market to win business on price alone. So somebody comes into the industry, they're a newcomer, they might've been a pest exterminator in the past, they wanna get into telecommunications because they reckon there's money in it. And first thing I'll do is I'll cut, undercut everybody. They win business on price because people are conscious of price. Now, what we're trying to say to you is to help protect you from not having to get in this downward negative price spiral is to differentiate yourself. So a couple of points I wanted to do. First of all, demonstrate that you are an ICT infrastructure professional as distinct from others who aren't. So the first thing you've got to ask is if, if they're getting quotes, are you getting quotes from a registered cabler? Do you know that's the law? You asked your client, do they know that, that it's the law they must have such so-and-so? And if they dismiss that, well, do you know what can happen if you get someone that's dodgy, that doesn't do the job properly? Now, we should also stipulate that you need to invite, uh, engage your client by saying that you can mitigate risk to them by only using safe and dependable products. Remind the clients that S009 is based on safety and network integrity. That's what you're ensuring by being a registered cabler. In other words, if you don't use a registered cabler, you're taking on risk. So you are there to protect, protect your clients and to mitigate risk from them. Now, if the client doesn't use you, they could be letting in cowboys who could compromise the safety and integrity of the network. So once again, that's using that FUD factor. Remind them that they take on risk. If they don't use a compliant product, don't use a compliant registered cable like yourself. Also need to remind the clients of the fitness for purpose clause in S009. In other words, you're a professional to ensure that what you install will support their needs. Can they risk their business on a cheap and cheerful installer who leads with just price? Yes, they might be saving a buck or two, but are they putting their entire business or their entire household at risk? Now, we've had situations, uh, many of our cablers have told us of experiences I've had through COVID. Classic one we had, and I don't know if Con's on the call or not, but had a call several of, back at the start of COVID. And one of our cablers picked up a little bit of work with the legal profession. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but during COVID, all judgments, so county court, magistrate courts, Supreme Court, et cetera, the judges had to be doing it from home. Now, if they were using wireless communications, it was working okay, but it was also a shared medium amongst kids at school, the wife or the husband working from home as well, whereas cabling provided dependable, reliable guidelines and people picking up business. They they knew, these judges knew they couldn't risk going with just anybody. So it's a very important reminder there. Now, if pricing is raised by a prospective client, ask if, if your competitors are registered cablers who actually comply with S009 installation practices, and if the products proposed are compliant to S008, in other words, comparing apples with apples. So because most consumers don't know about cabling registration, et cetera, it's up to us to inform them. So when the issue comes up, don't get caught up in a price competition situation. It's about raising the stakes and saying, Am I competing with a compliant product? Am I competing, competing with a compliant cabler as well? Now, we also want you to stress the importance of what you're providing to business or individuals by saying that ICT infrastructure is an essential service. Can you afford to risk it with good old cheap and cheerful? And the answer simply is no, you can't. So this stresses the importance of having a professional who is registered, who is licensed, etc., to do the job, to do the job properly, so that when you leave, what the client has is a system that's fit for its intended purpose. Now, also, we wanted to stress to you that we should never allow a client to minimize the importance of the service you provide. A lot of people think of IT as being software. We talk to a lot of universities, and they say 
Yeah, network engineering is all software. It's infrastructure. And without infrastructure, we don't have communications. We don't have connectivity. So as we all know, the federal government spent billions of dollars on the NBN. It's getting that last 10 metres from your device to the NBN that makes the difference. And that's a key point we want to stress. And that's the service that we as registered cablers provide. And just one last point there. I'd like to invite, encourage you to ask the client if they have any plans to use smart building technologies that use power over the communications cabling in the future. If that's the case, you need to stress the importance for cabling to be able to support it without fire or overheating risks. Now, Ian alluded to this a little earlier with remote powering or power over ethernet. It is a very different world when you're putting power over communications cabling. The difference is burst energy, which is on, off, on, off, digital transmission versus continuous power. So that's the reticulation of power. It's continuous. Is the cabling and the connectors suitable for that? So cheap and cheerful might be a case of saying, sure, we can do anything, but can it do it properly? Do you understand the issues about um, uh, length, uh, de deregulate or deregistering? No, I'm trying to think of the term for that, but reducing the... the derating. Derating. Thank you, Ian. Um, so be aware that there are professional limitations on what can and can't be done. If you know this, you demonstrate that you are a professional and that you provide a better risk mitigation for your clients. Now, just to add something that Ian mentioned before about um, insurance, be aware that insurances are not insurance companies are not charities. They will pay out on an insurance claim. However, they then go out and seek what the cause of the fire was or what the cause of the claim was, and they will then challenge and issue anybody associated with the building with a bill. And that's a legal term called subrogation, which allows the insurance company to claim a percentage. So if you're involved in the project, you may be connected up the alarm system and the alarm failed. You could be 40% to blame and you'll get a let's say the insurance company pays out 10 million dollars on a building fire you'll get slapped with a four million dollar bill now if you're non-compliant in other words you didn't use compliant product your insurance company even though you got a 20 million dollar um, liability insurance will walk away from you because you're non-compliant so i cannot stress enough the need to be compliant use compliant products be registered to protect yourself, because if there's ever an insurance claim, you're covered and your insurance policy will cover you. But if you're not, they'll walk away from you. Over to you, Ian. Thank you, Paul. That's it. My my computer wanted to go to sleep. Sorry, it's not because of you were talking, Paul. It's just <laughs> you didn't move the mouse, okay? So what are the key messages you must walk away with? Well. Firstly, is if you don't have a copy of the latest, get it, S009. You can also down S00, download S008. You probably don't need to read it unless you're a manufacturer, S008. The key is S009. When you get this slide pack, which will be available through our site, you'll be able to actually click on that and it'll take you to the comms alliance. This standard is free. This was a decision made by the communications industry ages ago. And we provide all the standards free of charge through comms alliance. So get it and read it. Read the regs. Take your time. If you don't read it, how can you protect yourself? So there are a lot of intricacies in 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 there, and there are a lot of a lot of good solid information. You've got to understand. Paul talked about ES1, ES2, ES3. We used to talk about SELV, ELV, LV, and so on. Well. It's now ES1, ES2. ES1 and ES2 are equivalent to, but are not ES, uh, um, SELV, ELV. In fact, ES1 and ES2 can have unlimited voltage, but you limit the current. Or you can have unlimited current, but you limit the voltage. Now, which, which sounds a bit weird, but what they're looking at from a, a safety point of view is, what, what is the potential of the energy source to actually create harm? And ES1 and ES2 are not seen as being ones that will create harm, which will have a detrimental permanent impact on your life and the equipment's connected to. 
But what we're getting at is not e strictly SELV, ELV. So you've got to get your head around that. And in particular, with new technology arriving all the time, you know, as people arrive, people come in with technology, even though they might not supposed to, and then they want you to actually get it working. So download it, get read the regs, understand what do we mean by that. Be clear of where the demarcation uh, the demarcation point is. Download the authorities to alter, understand what they mean. And in particular, for example, with the authority to alter from MBN, they clearly require you to actually use particular products. So you've got to be able to access those products and they expect tests to be done. So, and it's all spelled out there. And also, by the way, if you do have questions in regards to things like that, feel free to contact us. We as a body then can talk to MBN and try and get assistance and information. All those questions do come, do our app because we can then feed them back to you. So when you read the regs and you read the authority to alter and you know your responsibilities and you know your accountability because you're now using, you're not only just working on customer cabling, you're not work, working into the MBN side of the cabling. The main thing is that you're taking responsibility for that. And sometimes there are areas which are, you know, I'm not sure, feel free to extend the questions to us. We'll then seek answers and try and get back to you to assist you in getting that knowledge base. And then we can share that with uh, with all of us, with, with the, the whole group in, at large. So get download both documents and make sure you are clear of where, in fact, you, are, where you stand. So that that is absolutely clear. So that when the customer says, this is what I want, you can go, yes, I can do that. I can use compliant products. One thing we probably haven't hammered enough is, and, and Paul's already alluded to that, you are also, as an industry, responsible for your industry. So, you know, and if you think there are cowboys out there, out there we have a responsibility to out these cowboys. To out them, tell the customer, you realize you can actually go and check that that person is registered. Any one of you have a cable registration, it has a number with a T, a S, and A, and so it doesn't matter. The main, the main thing is you have a number. Using that number, you can go into the relevant registrar and actually do a search. Have you ever done it? Try it. Know it. So when you're talking to a client, you can even have a shortcut to, oh, I can check that person for you. Demonstrate. You're the professional. And you're protecting your industry, which means you're then protecting you know, the downward spiral from taking place. Uh, I've been locked into my room. I forgot to close the door. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So what we've done so far is we've talked about the conventional S nine requirements. And the conventional requirements, by the way, were we didn't want people to be electrocuted. That, that's where the mentality was. But with this little clause that's come in, just it's a very small little clause that says fitness for purpose. That requirement has gone this way. Yes, we've now introduced a pseudo performance. There's an expectation that when you do cabling, the phone will work. Or more importantly is the service that I actually wish to access, I can access and it will not be impeded because I could actually be a person that requires that services for health reasons, for safety reasons, for security reasons. There's a lot of stuff, technology being rolled out to support people, for example, through the NDIS into homes through all this smart technology. Now, when something goes wrong, you don't want the door not to open when it should, or the alarm system not to actually send out a, a request for help. So the, the, the conventional requirements have been extended because the scope not hasn't extended. It's just that we've we, as a com committee, we've been working on work health and safety. And work health and safety is a very broad topic. So Comms Alliance in particular doing a lot of work in that area. And Paul and I sit on these committees and we're trying to address them. But S009 is within, covers that. So A, you've got to make sure that you stick up, you know, get your S009, understand the scope, okay? ensure what it takes to comply with it, 
ensure you're up to date with the latest requirements of the 2020 edition, which is the latest one. And also, as we covered, how to cover your backside at a professional level. And I think I've mentioned that once before, it's documentation. It's the only thing that it, I've done it all my life. Doesn't matter what I do, I always end up sending an email. This is what I agree we're going to do. And how registration avoids the downward spiral. And to avoid that downward spiral is you have to A, be registered, B, have the right competencies under your registration. So some of you that have done the competency courses, but you didn't actually tell your registrar, by the way, it's time you actually had a chat with them. Because <laughs> if they don't know about it, you, it's not on your registration. If it's not on your registration, by your way, you're not registered as far as the, the way the legislation works. So get that done. Secondly, understand where you can tell the customer to go and check whether the other guy is also registered. So you get away from the cowboys. So keep all that in, in mind, please. John. Okay, thank you, Ian and Paul. That was excellent. We've got a, got a number of questions. It's, um, it's 20 minutes uh, left for Q&A. So the, the first one, just actually following on what you were talking about, Ian, was uh, from David Harris. Um, he's asked, if only 60% of open cable registration holders have structured cabling endorsement and 40% have fiber optics endorsements, surely it's time to make at least these endorsements mandatory part of the open registration. Open registration was for voice cabling, which is hardly used nowadays. Would one of you like to answer that? This, this, this is, um, sorry, <laughs> I, I actually happened to see the message come up at the same time, Paul. I just, and I, I, I agree. This is, unfortunately, the registration system, yes, uh, it's a bit like if you attend an open registration course today, you still have to do part of block cabling because that is still a requirement under the competency. So it is slightly dated. I'm sorry to say, unfortunately, regulation and training is lagging. So we... Whilst I can't say that we are right now at this point in time trying to do that, uh, the, there was an organization in charge of um, what I said, re reviewing the training packages. Um, I think it had the words PWC in it. So I don't know where that stands at the moment, okay? Um, sorry, I'm, I'm being quite honest. That's the, that's the organization that was in charge of reviewing the telecommunications or ICT training package, and that's, okay? But that's something we should actually, as a registrar and a committee here, we should take it up with the ACMA. So we will actually should start tabling that as an issue. It's a valid point. Okay, but, well then, that's a, maybe and maybe at the next webinar we can give an a, an update on that. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, can I just add a little bit to that? A little bit of historical information for those who've been cables for many years, they'll know that in 2014 or pre 2014 endorsements were voluntary. You had to have open reg or restricted or lift registration and anything else was voluntary. In 2014, the ACMA changed the rules, much to the drive, under the drive of uh, NBN to mandate particular competencies. So if, and, that, and the word if is important, if you work in optical, with optical fiber, you will need that competency or was endorsement now called competency. If you don't work in optical fiber, you don't need it. It was a fairly simple process. Now, we've argued with the ACMA for years that structured cabling represents about 95% of the work these days that most people do. Now, the ACMA have simply said it's a legal instrument, therefore would take a significant change to the regulation. So they're going to leave it as it is for the time being until such time as the instrument is reviewed and it gets grandfathered every 10 years or so. So at some stage in the future, we're going to look at potentially, well, I'm certainly Bixie uh, and the other registrars are going to be probably lobbying the ACMA to say, we need to include structured cabling as a mandatory requirement because that's that's majority. Now, over the years, we've been monitoring that migration. It was back in 2014, it was about 35% were had the structured cabling registration. It's increased, and every quarter we report this to the ACMA. So the figures that Ian put up on the slide are actual factual information. That is exactly what the ACMA has aggregated and provided as feedback to us. 
in terms of the number of cablers that are that ha have that competency. It is slowly increasing, but we are encouraging folk to do that. Now, the reason it's important, cover your butt. So if you're doing structured cabling work and there's an insurance issue, you get challenged or charged by an insurance company, you're non-compliant if you don't have that structured cabling competency. So it's in your best interest to make sure you've got it. And getting it's easy. You do the subject, you get your statement of attainment from the, the RTO, send that to your registrar, and it gets added. Simple as that. It's not a difficult situation. Okay, let's go on to um, uh, another one um, from uh, John at the Tas Tasmanian TAFE in Launceston. He's saying, are you satisfied that RTOs are properly conducting the 50Q S009 test as required by ACMA? Um, what are your thoughts, Paul? You, you're, a you're a registrar. Yeah, I, I can answer that question. Um, we get this all the time. Now, the form that the ACMA provide for registration, application registration, actually includes a tick, tick box that it's a legal statement that any, any cable will do that they have done that 50-question test. Now, what we understand in talking to some of the, or a lot of the RTOs is that to pass that subject, ICT, CBL 237 or... Um, what is it? The yeah, uh, yeah. whatever they are, whatever the codes are, you can't pass the subject without doing that test. So there's a criteria for that because the training on those modules is based on S009. Can I add to that? By the way, I I used to own an RPO uh, that was a number of years ago, and the one thing we did was administer the fifty question question quiz. What we did as a private RTO was that if you failed the test you would then be given two more attempts at no extra cost to you to actually uh, the, do the test. So you could go away, study, come back at another time. So that is what a lot of the private RTOs tend to do. And therefore, it's not as though you then need to have a re-enrollment and trigger a whole new cost to the to the student. Uh, obviously, I'm not an RTO now. I don't run an RTO, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. But I know that that's very much a requirement. Uh, John, it's Kevin uh, for Kevin Fothergill from Titeb. That's that's valid. Uh, the, one of the problems we're having though is that there's been a few, very few, who say, "Okay, you failed question three or something," uh, and they then only test you on that question. That is not correct. You need to sit down and do the whole set again, and you should have some sort of rotating question so that it's not a repeat. Uh, and that's one of the myths that's around. People say, oh, yeah, I only failed X and, uh, you know, I, I, I reset that one. You've got to do the whole test again. And that's basically what Ian was saying there as well. All right. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Let me go to the next question. Um, and I guess this really is talking about the quality of, of services offered by uh, cablers. Uh, Ron Reese has said he's been called out to a number of NBN installations where the installer uh, has wired the service to an available point, dumped the modem uh, somewhere in the house, and, and whilst the final work, wiring works, it's a, pretty much a mess. So where the question is, where does workmanship come in versus simple installation? I, yeah, I that, think that... It, it, uh, look, the, this, this is an, uh, comes back to, if you don't capture that, and then feed it back to some point, for example, to MBN, that doesn't necessarily get picked up. That That is a bit of an issue there. We're not, I can't discount that that happens. Um, so, but again, I don't think enough of it. It's, it's probably a bit like if you ask the ACMA, is there a problem with cabling? They say no, because they don't receive complaints. They don't receive complaints because customers don't know who to complain to. It's not because they don't want to complain. They just don't know where to go to. Um, so you could, if if you capture that and start collating that, then we can mount, you know, sort of what uh, some sort of case. At the moment, we're not out in the field, so unfortunately, unless you provide it to us, for example, we could become a, a, a central repository and then try and put together enough examples. So we need your assistance to try and get through that practice. But by the way, it is MBN's responsibility; it's on their side. Okay. If I can just add to that, I had a meeting with NBN's chief technical officer only two weeks ago, and they they want feedback. 
they they acknowledge the fact that some of the workmanship is pretty shoddy just because people are in a bit of a rush to get the job done, etc. Uh, and now they're spending millions of dollars going back and refixing. And of course, there's the updates, upgrades to fibre of the home, et cetera. Um, but any feedback is important. So we have direct ear of the uh, NBN. So if you've got issues, folks, let your registrar know and we'll channel that straight back to NBN and they welcome that feedback. Yeah, I think there's a there's a number of questions coming through and, and points made about whether, you know, they should be registered for uh, different areas. But there's one that comes through from Stephen O'Neill that seems to touch on most of those questions, saying that TCA1 seems out of date in the digital age. Do you think this should be something that is submitted online or through an app? And this way, accountability with registrars would be easier to track. The, the TCA1, by the way, uh... If you get the example or the sample of a TCA1 form from, from the ACMA, all you need to do is ensure all that information that's on that form is captured by your system. So if you've got a digital system and you do digital invoicing, that's where it's captured. And then you ensure your customer has a copy of it. And obviously your customer gets a copy and you retain a copy as a cable. Your, your cabler should have, or you as an employer have a copy for your cabler. It's, it's your you as a cable are required to actually keep a copy of it. So it doesn't have to be a paper trail. It can be electronic. It just has to exist and has to have the statement that you have done all the cabling compliance with S009. Um, and, and then someone's, by the way, I just saw TCA2 form, which is if someone's done non-compliant work, you then can present that to the customer to say, you know, the work that I've seen, the cabling work that is in situ, which you the customer owns, it's not actually compliant. And again, you need to demonstrate. If I can just add to that, Ian, um, we believe that the TCA 1 and 2 forms are your best friend. That's that's there to protect you. Now, the law says you, you must keep a copy for yourself for a year and give a copy to your client, and they're supposed to keep it for a year. Our advice is keep it forever. Now, you're not going to have 12 filing cabinets full of TCA1 forms. You're going to store them digitally. In fact, we even recommend that you have lots of photos because these days photos are easy. Just use your phone, take photos, download them, store them digitally or ascribe them to a particular project so that if there is ever an issue five, 10 years down the track, you've got a record of what you've done. And if somebody else has come in and done some dodgy workmanship, you're not to blame because you've, yeah. and the TCA1 form is basically to say, this is what I've done. And down the track, if someone else has done work on it, you can differentiate yourself from it. So by all means, use it to your advantage, take lots of photos, store the photos, give them to your clients, and then they've got a record of it, but keep them to yourselves because it's there to protect you. Sorry, um, Paul, can, maybe I can just ask a question then. You just mentioned keep the TCA1 forms for 10 years because somebody might come back against you. Isn't there a time limit on uh, when people can come back for faulty work? It's not so much people coming back to you from a warranty point of view. It's more so an insurance claim. So it's been our experience in talking to lawyers in particular. They cite lots and lots of examples of projects that have been installed 10 years ago. And let's say there's a fire in the building. Um, the insurance company or the, the building owner makes a claim on insurance. The insurance company will dutifully pay it out. That's standard practice. But yeah. then they'll go off and look for where the what caused the fire or what caused the insurance claim might be a structural issue, whatever the case is. And they will look for ways of recouping their money. Like I said before, they're not charities. They give money away to an claimant and they get it back from whoever. And this is where subrogation comes into the picture. Um, if you've got TCA1 form that says, I did this, I didn't do that, et cetera, even if it's 10 years ago, then it, you, you're covering your butt, you're protecting yourself. Whereas if you don't have the documentation, you've got the burden of proof. So there's a couple of questions here um, about education of the public in terms of, uh, you know, the reg uh, registrations. Um, and another about how far does an open registration take you with security de devices without the requirement for a security license? Perhaps that's worth uh, answering. The... Uh... The security license is obviously state and territory based, and it varies from state and from state to state and territory to territory. Regardless of 
what the state and territory requirements are, you cannot do any work on a security system, any cabling work on a security system without being a cabler, a registered cabler. So that is under the Telecommunications Act, it actually picks up all the security systems. In fact, the cable registration goes to the fact to, to, to an extent where if you put in cabling from a receiver in your home theater system and you put it in the cavity or any concealed location, fixed or concealed cabling to extend your receiver to the speakers, that cabling is caught under the Telecommunications Act. You must be a registered cabler. So that's that you can't negate that. That is just a given. Now, the fact that each state and territory has a variation on it, then that's your responsibility to determine what you need within that state and territory. Sorry, I know it's a cop out, but um, there, there is, we do have in with us uh, John Fleming from ASIL, which I can assure you could talk to this for hours because he deals with that frustration. But uh, you just have to look at what areas you work in and therefore what are the requirements from your state and territory. Yeah. Okay. Well, so can maybe I if I could just that, make a note, Paul. Um, there's four minutes left uh, oh, in the webinar. Yeah. So um, I, if any of you got any questions that are burning a hole in you, um, yes, here's... Um, right. Well, the, uh, Robert's uh, made a comment about the importance of of being covered by insurance because sometimes things can happen which are out of your control. Um, there's a, a question I've got here about CCTV systems that are standalone. And the you know, person's asked, do I have to adhere to standards if I'm installing a standalone CCTV system? Well, I just, I'll make the comment, standards are your best friend. You want to cover your butt, you install the standards. And if there's ever a problem, for whatever reason, you can say, well, I followed the standards. Yep. And following from that, I can't find a single CCTV system in the market. Like I can't find a home theater system that is not intended to be connected to a carrier's network. Okay. Right. Either have Wi-Fi or they have an RJ45 Ethernet port. Now, every single device that you buy that has that, then any cabling emanated or any cabling associated with it comes under the cable registration regime. So if you put in a standalone system, but it has that capability, it's intended to, then under the legislation, it's covered. You must do the cabling as a registered cable. Right, well, I, so I've got a question for you. So you know how you put the electrical conduits right throughout the homes? Um, as you're putting the electrification in. And subsequently, you might want to put in a structured wiring or a, a, a distributed um, wiring network for communications. Can you use, uh, can you put the fiber cable in the electrical conduit? Uh, you want to answer that, in, or you want me to answer it? No, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, all, sorry, as far as I'm concerned, if, you, you, the S nine allows for fiber to actually be in the same conduit as power cable, yes. but you cannot access power cables if you're not a licensed electrician. Bingo. Yep. So the, the, if, the constraints are more the electrical side rather than the comm side. Yeah. So if you if you are out there listening to us and you're an electrician and a registered cabler, you have an advantage. Okay. So. You know, you got to play. You got to play to your to your advantages. So, um, so, so Ian, does that mean they can put the fiber cable in in the electrical conduit? Please, please read the standard because you got to comply with all the labeling notices and stuff like that. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, we've got thirty seconds left. Graham Hands just made a comment that. 95% of domestic CCTV system installers are, um, installations are done by security installers without structured competency and 50% without open registrations. Yeah, look, this is this is where we come down to. Mr. Customer, you've just got a quote to have that installed. Is the installer registered? Do you know how to get your registration? Okay, so we will send this out to you. How to, but make sure they can actually look at how 
make sure that the customer knows how to check whether that person going out there is actually a registered cabler and they have the competency, which comes back to you as an audience. If you don't have your competencies, get them done because then that argument falls flat. And right. just by the way, to mention, I should actually put my last slide up, John, for you to close. <laughs> okay. So, yes, it's uh, it's just on coming on closing time. So, um, I thank you, uh, Paul and Ian, for excellent webinar and uh, this morning. And thank you all for your participation um, in this uh, in this webinar. The next webinar is going to be held on the topic of deploying wireless uh, uh, correctly. And this will be uh, in sometime in November, but we'll be sending out notices uh, to advise you of the date closer to the time. Again, if you want to see these slides that have been presented, uh, we'll be um, uh, putting them up on the Registered Cablers website, which is Ian has showed you here. It's uh, www.registeredcablers.com.au. We'll also be putting up a full recording of, uh, of this webinar in case you want to go through that as well, especially for our Western Australian uh, members. And lastly, um, we'd like you to have a good look at the website here, uh, as many of your colleagues are already uh, promoting their services on this website and getting an awful lot of referrals from it. Um, so thank you once again for your participation. We look forward to seeing you all again in, uh, in November. Thank you and good morning.